This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. The Ontario Provincial Police have released a report uh, looking at the Canada Day long weekend. And according to their statistics, five people died in collisions and that there were more than 5,000 speeding charges laid against drivers. Mm. That's 5,000 speeding charges. You know, I'm, I'm going to say this before we we're going to bring a, an, an Ontario provincial police officer on in a minute. But before we, we get to that, I'm going to say this. <clears throat> I often and I think it's a, a byproduct and it's no excuse, but it's a byproduct of a lot of the newer vehicles that are on the road. They are quieter. The sound systems in them are fantastic. Um, the engines are quieter. And sometimes you don't realize that you're above the the speed limit as you're driving along. Now, I know what Officer uh, Sergeant Dave Rector from the Ontario Provincial Police is going to tell me. Well, it's your your first job is to drive the car and monitor your speedometer and monitor your speed. And it's not to crank up the ACDC. It's not to be checking your Facebook likes or any of that. And that's all true. But anybody agree with me on that one? That, that Our cars are so comfortable now, generally, and they're quieter that, admit it, you've probably been driving along and thought, holy smoke, man, I'm, I'm 20 or 30 over. I didn't even realize it. 905-645-3221 or star 9900. Joining us on the line is Sergeant Dave Rector of the Ontario Provincial Police. Sergeant Rector, thanks for the time this afternoon. You're welcome. This is, um, I think, a staggering statistic. Um, first of all, um, we, we never want to see anybody lose their life on, on any of the roadways or highways, but it does happen. Five road fatalities over the long weekend. It, give me some point of reference. Is that high, low, and the medium? Where is it? I would say that that's uh, high. Um, mm-hmm. we've, seen, we've seen higher, but it, it's in rate, you know, a little bit uh, north of middle. Um, but uh, still, that's five families completely destroyed and five families who will never think of the Canada Day weekend in a positive way ever again in their life. Yeah, good point. Five, uh, f- close, the number's closer to 6,000 speeding charges. Uh, the, the headlines read 5,800. Is that... Uh is that the case for speeding this past weekend? Yeah, those are the uh, the number of charges that were were laid this past weekend. Um, but uh, you know, not surprising uh, the way we see people driving out there. And when we talk about a speeding charge, um, it, I'm imagining these are significantly uh, significant speeding charges, like twenty over, thirty over, forty over, that kind of thing. Oh, I would suggest to you that the bulk of them, uh, majority, are well over one twenty. On a you know in a, uh, or twenty over the posted speed limit, regardless of which highway you're on, but uh, yeah, it's it, it's certainly um, uh, ind- indicative of the uh, problems that we're facing as as a police agency. How do you respond to some of the remarks I was making before I brought you on the air about um, uh, we, we get lulled as drivers into a, a false sense of security because of the the comfort of our vehicles, the quietness of our vehicles. Um, and the entertainment systems and so on and so forth in our vehicles. Give me your thoughts on all of that. 
Well, my thoughts are this, and, and you may not appreciate them, and they're not meant to be disrespectful, uh, but uh, until people stop making excuses for their bad driving behavior, we're going to see people dying on our highways. We're going to see people being injured. Um, we grow weary of people making excuses, whether you know whether it's vehicles or better roads or whatever. Uh, the fact is people are blatantly disregarding the rules that are in place for everybody's safety, and that's what's killing people on our roadways. Yeah, and uh, listen, I I don't take issue with that at all. I think you're, I think you're delivering the the right, the right message. I, I also think people are, um, as you said, disregarding. Uh, you know, the question for a so- sociologist or a psychologist might be why uh, we seem to have an increasing need to get everywhere more quickly, and and there's this all also this me attitude out on the road, uh, Sergeant Rector, that seems to be prevalent where. You know, you don't matter. Only I matter, and only where I'm going matters. And do you get a sense of that out there on the roads? Oh, we see that in the world we live in. Everything is about you know everybody puts themselves above others. And uh, you know, if we lived in a world where people put others above self and obeyed the rules of the road, our highways would be safer, our communities would be safer. We'd look after each other better, and uh, we'd see reductions in crime. But unfortunately, um, you know, uh, we <laughs> we live in a very self-centered society. And, uh, you know, it, uh, a lot of people don't think the rules of the road apply to them, uh, but yet we have the four uh, causal factors of injury and death. They remain the same for everybody, and they, you know, they, they don't excuse gender or, or who you are. It's, it's, it's distracted driving, impaired driving, aggressive driving, and failure to wear seatbelts. And the other thing is you, you can't, you know, the, there's a lot of people who are out there driving, following the rules of the road. They see somebody driving recklessly or speeding or whatever, and they go, ah, oh, there's never a cop around when you need one. You know, where are the police to get these guys? You, you know you guys hear that all the time. Um, there's only so many of you out there. There's a heck of a lot more vehicles out there. What a challenge you guys face in trying to keep the roadways safe and enforce the law. Well, it really is. It's an ongoing challenge. I mean, when we stop somebody and we issue them an offense notice, uh, we get, you know, why aren't you out stopping real criminals? Yeah. And, uh, so we get that side of it. We get the public side of it. When we try to do something proactive on social media, we have people chirping saying, you know, why aren't you out enforcing the laws instead of using social media? Uh, but, you know, we're going to continue to work with our media partners like we're doing right now. Uh, we work with the media agencies uh, quite frequently to help deliver our safety messages. We're going to continue with education and enforcement. But uh, more police officers isn't the answer. Better drivers is. Right, right. And, you know, you touched on something. You said that even you guys have tried to, to use social media to get messages, out, which is a great idea, um, and you should keep doing it. The the idea of it being a social problem is is very real. I mean, when the when the whole drinking and driving uh, stuff started, you know, a few decades ago, it was we recognized as a society that this was a problem for all of us. So so we began the laws began to change for penalties and so on. But we also as individuals started to take responsibility. We started to see designated driving become just a part of our social norms um, across the board and, and understanding that drinking and driving was, was going to kill us. And, and so it was really not officers or courts. It was really us that corrected that problem, not fully, obviously, to this day, but reduced it significantly. And that's what we're going to have to do here, too, with, with regards to speeding and distracted driving. Would you not agree? 
I, I think we have to explore other options. Uh, clearly, uh, penalties that are in place are uh, are not working. Um, uh, you know, for some people, uh, for others they are. But uh, you know, it, it's it's something that as a society. And, uh, you know, we don't make the rules as police officers. We enforce them. So this is clearly a societal problem. And if, if society reaches a point, a tipping point, where they say, okay, enough is enough, then they'll, they'll take action. And you're very right. Um, you know, much like they did with drinking and driving, there will be, uh, be more outcry uh, out about it and more action will be taken. But, uh, again, um, it, it will likely take time, and it's going to cost a lot more lives until, uh, until people step up and realize that they're all part of the, uh, the solution. And and, uh, you know, and part of the problem right now, unfortunately. Sergeant Dave Rector is our, our guest with the Ontario Provincial Police. Uh, who are the speeders, Sergeant Rector? There's a common uh, thing out there. It's, it's always young people, new drivers. They're the ones that are gunning it. Um, who are the speeders? You know, it, it, you, you've hit the misconception right on the head. It's not just young drivers. We find, uh, you know, it, it, it's... Um, uh, People between the ages of 25 to 45, uh, men, women, uh, old, young, it doesn't, uh, doesn't discriminate. Uh, it, it, it's as varied as the day is different. And, uh, you know, it, um, we, we, it, it's a big problem. It's, it's one that everybody needs to take ownership of, myself included, and I'll, I'll try our best to drive differently and more responsible. Are your officers not a little bit frightened when they, when they have to... Um uh, sort of in, in, in uh, not frightened, but people drive so crazily. I, I worry about officers even on the side of the highway. I know there's there's a, a law that you have to to pull uh, to the left and keep out of that lane where you know an officer has somebody pulled over and all of that stuff. But d- that's frightening when you're driving along those 400 series highways. Sometimes you see officers pulled over or officers patrolling. You think, oh man, I wouldn't want that job at all. It's frightening. Do you guys ever get uh, rattled out there? Well, you know, it's, it's safe to say police officers get scared too. We're we're human, just like anybody else. And I, you know, I've been at this job for 30 years, and every time I pull a vehicle over out on the highway, I fear for my life because you never know who's driving that car that's coming up behind you. Whether they're going to see you, whether they're going to pull out to the left to give you the room you need to do your job, or you know, they're going to run into the back of you. Yeah, I've I've been hit at that the side of the road. Really? Yeah, it, it's. Uh, I mean. I don't know too many officers who haven't either been hit or uh, had near misses uh, by caused, you know, by at the hands of a, an incompetent driver, other driver. Um, you know, so, yeah, and we teach in the, the academy, uh, you know, one of the most dangerous things you'll ever do as a police officer um, isn't to be involved in a shootout. Rather, it's to pull over a vehicle on, the, on a roadway. Uh, that's when your life is most in jeopardy. So we teach our, our young officers to be vigilant, to always look behind them, never walk back, you know, never walk with your back towards traffic because of what you just said. It is dangerous and it is scary. And every time we, uh, you know, we stop a vehicle, we wonder, are we going home at the end of this shift or are we going to end up in a box? Yeah, it's a very, uh, it's a very difficult job that, that uh, you guys do and uh, the men and women of the Ontario Provincial Police and of all the various uh, municipal police forces and federal police uh, forces as well. It's, um, I, I don't know, <laughs> I have... I, I try to, I, I have a lot of respect for what you guys do. I, I also have a lot of respect for the rules of the road. And I can tell you as a driver, I've been driving now for, uh, over 30 years that I, I'm becoming more frightened on the roads because of what I'm seeing as a driver, especially, you know, when I'm driving with my children and my family in the car. 
I, I just shudder sometimes at some of the stupidity that I see the way people pass, the unnecessary recklessness. And, and I just think, you know, it only, it's only going to take one second for a disaster to happen. And I think more of us need to think about that. You know, you're absolutely right. And, and again, you, you know, we're very respectful of our media partners who are, are working alongside us. And, and you, uh, the word respect that you just used is one that I use in my social media tweets almost daily. Uh, that you know, I always say that the uh, roadways are a community that we all have to share, so let's be respectful towards each other. And that's something that's noticeably missing out in our communities. All right, Sergeant Dave Rector of the Ontario Provincial Police. Uh, appreciate you spending uh, some time with us here this afternoon. Hope it's uh, hope it's a much more safe weekend out on our roadways uh, this weekend. Take care. Thanks. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show weekdays from noon to three on AM 900 CHML. We're talking with uh, Lorraine Sommerfeld. It's been a while. Auto writer with Post Media, mother load column in the Hamilton Spectator that she's been writing now, I think, for about three hundred years, and <laughs> and the host host of Lemonade Car Age Car Lemonade Car Show on Rogers TV. There's two. You have too many titles, Sommerfeld. What's going on with you? Well, you just call me Grandmother Load. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. I have been. It's been a while since we chatted on the air. It's really nice to have you back on and uh, have the opportunity to talk with you, Lorraine. I've been following all of your stuff uh, in the automotive world, which was an interest that you you always had, um, going back to uh, when you were just starting out with the motherload column in The Spectator. You you were always a car nut, right? Well... Not specifically, but they offered to pay me more money to write a car call. <laughs> so I said, okay. Yeah, go where the money is, right? Kind of a mercenary, yeah. Uh, honestly, <laughs> hey, nothing, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. So, so the story today is we're talking about and, and sort of asking the, a philosophical question is, is this finally the dawn of the electric car era with, with Volvo, BMW, and Tesla getting uh, some, some attention uh, this week with um, the Model 3s, uh, you know, rolling off the line and into people's hands. Uh, the most affordable Tesla to this point, somewhere in the neighborhood of, uh, what is it, thirty-five dollars to $40,000 is the starting price of those? Yeah, normal people money. Yeah, yeah. I think we've been talking for a few years now, and we've said nobody's buying them, but it's the way we're going anyway, like kicking and screaming whether you want to or not. So yeah. Volvo doing this, this is kind of cool. And Volvo is small enough as a manufacturer to pivot and turn like a boat. Like they, they can make these decisions. And they're doing the hybrid will bridge them. Like they're still going to do hybrids and electrics. Okay. And the current model lineup, they'll still have gas engines coming off till about 24 because it's as they retire their existing models, they, they'll be replaced with hybrid and electric. But it's, it's a forward statement. And I think sometimes we forget that car manufacturers have to think globally, and they do, um, not just you know nationally. They just don't think about Canada or North America. They have right. to think globally. So there's things at play here. Um, a lot of it involves China and the Chinese buying public. So there's different economies here, mm-hmm. and we have to remember that these decisions aren't just about us. So No, they're not. You know, there are, there's lots of uh, conspiracy theorists out there, Lorraine, who, who say, Oh, you know, the gas engine will never go away because big oil controls all of that. And, you know, there's big oil and big auto and blah, blah, blah. And that's the end of that. So you'll never see gas engines disappear. Well, I mean, for they've, they're going to have applications. I mean, the toughest thing right now is even if everyone flipped to an electric car tomorrow, the transit industry, like trucks and stuff and that pollution is always going to be like a bigger thing to tackle even. We tend to think of what's in our driveway rather than, you know, what fills our houses up with all the crap we buy that we don't need. Right. But um, it's 
we've got to look at the the pollution. And right now, what's happened is the fuel economy coming out of gas engines has been astounding, like 25% year over year for the last 10 years. It's amazing. It is. It really is, yeah. If you drive a 10-year-old car, you would be shocked if you got in the same model or brand and drove it now. You'd go, holy cow, this is insane. But the electric engines, their Achilles has always been distance and charge time. They're bridging that now. And prices, prices will come down. Battery costs will come down as we get, you know, economies of scale coming in. So the the manufacturers know that. They're thinking five, six, seven years down the road. So we don't, like, that's where their playbook is. That's what they're looking at today is seven years from now. Yeah. And so that's what they're planning for. And, you know, electric cars, they're cheaper to maintain. They're easier on brakes. Priuses are bulletproof. Like, go buy a Prius, man. Those things are great. They are, eh? Well, yeah. The Vancouver cabbies are putting five, 600,000 kilometers on them. Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Toyota invented that segment, and they're great. And batteries used to cost $8,000. Now it's like two. And, you know, they last a lot longer. So as fear goes away, as fear drops, acceptance rises. And we're, we're going to see that happening. Yeah. yeah. Tesla. Let's talk a little bit about Tesla because uh, Elon Musk is, is making headlines this week about a, creating the largest uh, lithium-ion battery in the world to supply mm-hmm. electricity to Australia. And that kind of, the, the, you know, people can go online, read that story. Mm-hmm. This guy's exciting in general. His, 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 is it all marketing or is this guy for real? Because um, he, he seems to really give a crap. He, he does. And he's one of the people who is He's willing to be wrong. He's not usually wrong, but he's willing to say, I want to colonize Mars. And someone might go, oh, you're such an idiot. But because he does it, and he also says a lot of other things that he actually is doing, you have to go, all right, at least got to hear the guy out. And mm-hmm. you've all got friends who shoot their mouths off, and you're going, would you just stop? You've never accomplished anything from your lazy boy in the whole time I've ever known you. <laughs> but Musk absolutely has, and so he at least has earned a spot to you know, put forward the ideas he's got. And he puts muscle behind it. I mean, he... You know, he's got enough vision to start pushing through for things. And everyone said, oh, there's never going to be that. Well, look at the stock prices on Tesla. They're huge. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? My first, I, I had exposure to a Tesla uh, a couple of winters ago. And, and I can tell you when it was. It was, I, I, I actually hired a guy for the day who has, uh, what is it, a Model 80? Is it? No. What was the... The first one, well, the first or second one, anyway. Yeah. Um, Four door, long car, nice car. Hired him for the day to drive us around Niagara because uh, we were go- going on a winery tour, and so we wanted a designated driver. And he had a livery service, and the guy was offering uh, environmentally friendly vehicles. And I thought, well, this is interesting. Let's hire this guy. And what do you got? And he says, I got a Tesla. So, so okay, let's go out in the Tesla then. And and that was my first exposure to it. It was an amazing automobile for, you know, I, I don't know what I expected. I think I expected an electric golf cart kind of feel, but I got in and it, it was, it did everything that I would have hoped and dreamed any car would have done, only it did it without the emissions and it did it with great oomph and it did it quietly. Oh, yeah. Huge power, huge Yeah, quiet. big power. And, yeah, and I mean, the little, like the smart electrics, like the smaller ones, they are super cool golf carts. Like, that's how they handle, and they're really cool. But we're seeing electrics in all the top brands coming in now, and even in a pickup. So, I mean, they can do this. And consumers will not buy something that doesn't fill their need or work. So before they put that on the road, it's going to be good. And we're seeing some great stuff. It's getting people to adopt new technologies. And I think diesel was like a hiccup in between. And diesel's kind of out of the equation now. 
Yeah. And it used to be another pillar in the, you know, in the stuff underneath. Now it's gone. Like we're not going to see diesel increases. Diesel is effectively gone. So you you drive a lot of vehicles. You've you know you've you've already um, uh, put in your uh, pitch for Prius, and you'll be getting your kickback from that. I'm kidding, of course. Um, <laughs> but but you, <laughs> you you know you're not you're not a motive journalist. You you drive a lot of vehicles. G- you know, give us some thoughts. You know, we talked a little bit about Tesla there. Um, what about BMW? Let me just throw that out at you. I just had the Mini Cooper S. I've, did did okay. I talk to you? I had it a few weeks ago. Oh, I wrote a whole column saying I love this car. We're buying such big cars now just out of habit, CUVs and SUVs. Everybody wants big, big, big. And yeah. Great fuel numbers. Carry their junk. Finally put my butt back into a Mini after years. It's like I had so much fun. I didn't want to give it back. It's like, oh, okay. And I don't like the big Minis. I call them the Maxis. I don't like, <laughs> you know, the huge clubman and all that stuff. But, right. Um, getting back to a closer to original kind of Mini. So much fun, so awesome, and it's like we're overcarred. We don't need huge houses and huge cars for the most part, and we automatically go for the biggest we can get, and I think sometimes we have to rethink just how much car we need. My kids have moved out. Yay, I'm an empty nester, <laughs> um, you know, which is great. There's years I needed minivans. I, I, that's what I needed. Now I don't. I can drive a little hatchback. And right. You know, right now there's a jag in the driveway. Oops. Oh, my. <laughs> is, is there enough places to plug these things in? Um, no, and this is part of the part of the problem is we need the infrastructure. It has to go hand in hand. So car manufacturers already work very tightly with governments in form, you know, in the form of regulation. But Ontario, it just fell short of their goal of getting in new chargers. But um, th- there's some there's some things to overcome. People are going, well, how come um, if it's a government you know, subsidized place, I'm not paying for you to charge your car up. The fact is three dollars, you know, whatever. Yeah. So we've got a lot of private places, a lot of parking lots at big shopping malls. They've got rows of them, and it's complimentary. It's like plug in, and we'll, you know, we'll suck it up. It's it's something we'll a valet service almost that we'll offer to our electric customers. But we're going to see more of it. And I talked to Alberta this morning, and they said, you know, you see this whole row, and there's three cars parked, and 18 spots are empty. I go, yeah, it was like that here five years ago. Now it's the other way around. Like it it changes. People will change. But yeah. We do need charging stations. We need cars that don't take eight hours to charge up. They have that in Europe. It takes 20 minutes. They have a different grid system. So chicken and an egg, but we'll get there eventually, and we have to. And all I ask is people be open-minded in their next purchase and really consider what they need and don't overbuy. Save, you know, buy what you need. Rent what you need for a week a year to go up north with grandma and all the kids. And then buy, don't run around with a huge empty vehicle if you don't have to. And that makes a lot of that that makes a lot of sense. Are 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 the government incentive programs still in place? I mean, I see the yeah. electric vehicles running around with the G green license yep. plate and 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 run that down for our audience again because I I'm I, you know, I don't know what's available on 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 that stuff. There's a lot of people that complain. Um the new like the Chevy Bolt, the new one that's coming out mm. with a 383 kilometer range. You get $13,000 back from the government if you buy it. It's got a $35,000 price tag. All of a sudden that brings that down into the price range of a gas engine. And a lot of people complain that the government shouldn't shouldn't be doing these incentives, but they did it in Norway. And oh, are we up to 40% of the cars on the road that are plated are electric or hybrid? Well, it works then, obviously. Well, it it can as soon as they stop the incentive programs, it halt, it stalls, which okay, it does, but now it's made it the norm. Like it has done what it had to do and Again, you can go on Transport Canada. You can find out which 
which vehicles qualify for how much. And in some ways, yeah, you are giving millionaires money if they're buying the high-end Teslas. But in other places, you're allowing normal people to get into the market who are curious and really want to try to make a difference and not have it destroy their bank account um, and trying to even up the scale. And the car companies are confident that that economy of scale will kick in sooner than later. They understand as soon as governments flip to right, more right-leaning that those, those are going to get stripped away, and they know it. Yeah. So they have to uh, bring the prices into line really quickly and not rely on that. It's a, it's a false source of um, – it's a false resource, and they know it. We've always been giving away millions to, to, to millionaires because often millionaires come up with the big ideas that create great things in our lives. So I'm, you know, I'm not against that, that idea that in general. That's another discussion, I realize. Yeah. Let's, yeah. let's talk about range on these vehicles. You, you, we touched on it a little earlier. And in the early days, that was a big thing. How far can I go on, on, on one charge here? And that's improving immensely, right? It is. Well, I think with a hybrid, which has got a gas engine and a, an electric engine, um, you still get 30 or 40 kilometers on that first electric engine, and then it flips to gas. But that's also, as soon as you go over 30 kilometers an hour or 35 kilometers an hour, which means they're urban cars. Like you scoot around on your electric, electric engine in town, and then as soon as you climb up to you know 40 or 50K, you flip to gas. So it gives you um, options. I think that's Elon Musk calling you. Yeah, it must be. He's yeah, saying, pick up, your, pick up your Model 3, <laughs> Somerville. Hey, you want to talk summer music? I've been chasing the Grateful Dead down. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we can do that, too. But, 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 the, but the range, is, the range is, has improved immensely. Yeah, and the Bolt is the big breakthrough this year. Okay. And that's for GM. Just having a range of, like I said, 383 kilometers in good conditions. We've got to be careful in Canada. We're in extreme climate. It gets cold here. But that's been the big breakthrough because for a long time, electric engines were stalled around 120, you know, yeah. not enough to yeah. get you there and back. And now the Bolt is, you know, it, it's a big deal. It's a big thing to have that. There's people that are never going to feel totally safe, but if you know their stations and you're planning, usually people that buy pure electric cars, they're planners. Right. They yeah. un- they understand this, and so they're not complaining about it. They go into it open minded, knowing you can't. But people that cruise around on fumes, going, "Oh, it'll work out." Yeah, they're not the people to be buying electric cars. <laughs> uh, great chat as uh, as always, Lorraine Sommerfeld. Appreciate your time uh, this afternoon, and uh, happy motoring to you. You too. I'll talk to you. Talk soon. to you soon. Bye for now. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show weekdays from noon to three on AM 900 CHML. Let's bring Eric Alper into this conversation. Eric's a music publicist. He's been around music for a long time. Eric, it's nice to have you on the program again. Thanks for the time. Oh, happy to do it, especially when you're talking about summer. I don't care what people talk about. As long as people are talking about the summer, I am so good. Here, here. Listen, uh, you know, summer summer and concerts all go together. Summer and great music go together. Something, though, that you you told our, our uh, producer when uh, we were lining this up today is that you have um, a, a personal kind of checklist for people uh, going to their first concert. That's another thing, right, is the whole first concert thing. And, you, and you've got some uh, thoughts on, on, on what people need to uh, be aware of when going to their first concert. Yeah, so, uh, you know, a, a, a number of weeks ago when the unfortunate bombing incident happened during the Ariana Grande show uh, in Manchester, uh, my daughter was a couple of weeks away from going to see her first concert ever without me. Um, and we've seen a lot. We've seen dozens and dozens. But for the Chainsmoker show that was in Toronto, she actually went with one of her friends. And I didn't want to put 
the fear of life in her. I didn't want her to start getting paranoid walking down the street or being in large crowds. My daughter is a public speaker, so she's spoken in front of thousands, thousands of people before. But all the things that you and I take for granted when we go to see a show, we tend to forget to do the same thing when it comes to our own kids seeing a show by themselves. Like, for instance, you know, um, I have ID in my wallet. A lot of people already do, but my daughter doesn't. She has business cards. She doesn't carry her birth hmm. certificate. So we actually made sure that now she has an ID on her, uh, like, in her wallet. That makes sense. Yeah, and, you know, I'm kind of taking the plunge by giving her a data plan on, on her phone so that she doesn't have to rely on Wi-Fi because, you know, again, I think I can, you know, handle not getting on Wi-Fi at a public event, but in case of an emergency, I don't want her to start battling 18,000 people all for the same Wi-Fi in case of an emergency. And it's not just, you know, a really bad, bad accident, like Mm -hmm. the bombing. It's what happens if you get separated from your friend? What happens if there's a fire? What happens if your friend gets sick and you need to go? Um, So, you know, those kind of things. So we came up with a list of 14 Um, things that we are now going to do to ensure that not only is she as safe as can be, but my mind is a little bit at ease um, knowing that I'll only be, say, five minutes away if the venue doesn't have a place for parents to go and hang out, which a lot of places now do. Are you on social media, Eric? I am. You should uh, post that. You should post that list to your social media account. it's, It's actually right now, it's the third highest post that I've ever posted. It has over 92,000 likes on Facebook, but I'd be happy to post it right now, and they can go to Twitter, at that Eric Alper, uh, and I'll post it right this second, but it's on there uh, for all to see. Hey, that's great. That's uh, that's really, really smart. Uh, really good idea, really great uh, advice. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about music, and, and let's start with... Um, not way back when, uh, where you and I probably uh, belong, but let's talk a little bit about the current situation. Billboard, you know, having fun by predicting that Despacito may be the song of the summer. Um, do you do you agree with that? Do you think it'll be the, the, the song of the summer? This is the one with Justin Bieber. Yeah, it's not even close. I mean, you know, and, and for people who may not know exactly what we're talking about, Billboard magazine, um, you know, as, as most of us know, um, they're the ones that tabulate the charts when it comes to music, the top concert tours of the week, the top songs, the Hot 100, the Billboard album charts. And they've kind of created something in the last number of years called Billboard Song of the Summer. And it's, it's songs that um, it's the most popular songs based on a, a measurement that if you are number one, then you get 100 points. If you're number two, you get 99 points. If you're number three, you get 98 points, all the way down to the, to the top 100. And it's songs ranging from the charts from Memorial Day through Labor Day. So basically May until September. And right. that's um, the, the song of the summer. They're not even predicting that it's going to be close. In fact, Shazam, which is a, uh, an app that allows you to put your phone on and use this app in case if you want to know what the title or artist of a song that you hear on the radio or on the TV, they've actually predicted already 
that more people has shazammed this track looking to find out the title more than any other song this year. And the song's only been out just for five weeks already. All right, Luke, have we got Despacito queued up? All right, hang on, Eric. We're going to play this for for our audience, people that might not be familiar with the tune. Let's uh, have a little bit of it there. Come and move that in my direction So thankful for that, it's such a blessing, yeah Turn every situation into heaven, yeah Oh, you are My sunrise on the darkest day Got me feeling some kind of way Make me wanna savor every moment Slowly, slowly You fit me, tell me, love how you put it on Got the only key, know how to turn it on The way you nibble on my ear, the only words I wanna hear Baby, take it slow so we oh, can last long Tú, tú eres el imán y yo soy el metal Me voy acercando y voy armando el plan Solo con pensarlo right, se acelera right, right. el pulso the, 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 I think the word's coming up D- Despacito appears in there somewhere uh, what, what do you think of the song, Eric? I think it's really good You, you, you know what, this is the first song primarily in Spanish to top the Billboard Hot 100 since Macarena. <laughs> yeah, Back in yeah. 1996. So you think, okay, well, there's there's songs that cross over that are in other languages. 99 Luff Balloons by Nana. That's right. Lambamba by Richie Valens. And then when, when Los Lobos did it, there's not too many of them, which means that if you're going to have a song that gets this popular this fast, the kids love it. They have absolutely no idea what they're singing. But they kind of dig it. Yeah, it's just the overall sound and and feel of it. It does feel like a summertime song. It sounds like a song that you would hear um, if you went to a resort in the south that was uh, primarily Spanish based. You know, Uh, it's 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 a it's I'm I'm okay with it. I'm but I'm you know I'm jaded because I'm a I'm a rocker. What about? what about uh, uh, other great summer concerts? I'll, I'll I'll start by telling you that I went to see Rachel Platten last night. Oh yeah, yeah. I went to see Rachel Platten at at Niagara Falls View Casino. Now my 22 year old son bought me the ticket and invited me to come to the show. First of all, I thought that was amazing that that he would want to even hang out with me. Uh, <laughs> uh, that he thought I was okay enough um, to go to this show. And I've got to be honest with you, I didn't know very much at all about Rachel Platten and I so and that was good because I went in and just was very open-minded and thought okay let's see what we got here and I was just amazed at her set she did about an hour of course she's famous for the song fight song and stand by you and and a bunch of other uh, tunes lovely girl from California very positive uh, message, very inspirational in her whole attitude, very close with, with her audience, down in the crowd, sitting on the edge of the stage, talking to people and singing. And uh, this, I don't know, is this typical of the young um, performers these days? She Not was excellent. And I'll tell you why. And, and far be it for me to tell anybody what they should be doing with their lives. But Rachel Platten should not really exist in the music world for yeah. one big reason. Why is that? Because she's 36 mm-hmm. years old with yeah. the biggest song of the last 18 months. This doesn't happen every day. Rachel was essentially a singer-songwriter in Los Angeles trying for people to just listen to her songs, and nobody would even give her the time of day. In a moment of frustration, 
the last song that she decided to record before giving up her career was the fight song. And it's interesting because that song actually has taken on a new life for cancer patients, for suicidal people. It's who, an anthem. Who, who see it as a completely different way. But really, it's a, it's a letter to her saying, don't give up, keep going. And to have your biggest hit being your first one is actually pretty amazing. Having it at the age of 35... That's pretty remarkable right there. Yeah, she told that story uh, last night at um, at the casino uh, c- because she she ended her show with it. She's she's very very cute and playful in the way she um, interacts with her audience and and she did her full concert set. In fact, she played uh, I think three tunes altogether from her her new collection or new album, if they still call them that. Uh, that's coming up because she, 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 she said she's what's an album. Yeah. What's yeah, an album? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I missed them. Um, it, but she said I, she spent the last year in the studio recording all, all this new material. And so she played, I think three a total and they were all great. And, um, and then she, you know, say, said goodnight and went, went off the stage and people were cheering. And, and, uh, then she, when she came back, she said, she said, oh, I, you know, some of the younger people in the room are going, hey, what's going on with her? She's not playing fight song. Whoa, this is terrible. And, you know, she, she was <laughs> they, joshing with they, the crowd. They need to be schooled on what an encore is. Exactly, exactly. And uh, came out and, and played that as part of the encore and told the story that you just recited. And, um, I th- and, and what she was trying to do was she was really trying to deliver um, a revivalist type message for everybody in the crowd to to stay inspired, don't give up. She said, look at here I am, I'm the example. I played bars for uh, over 13 years that had, you know, eight and nine and ten people in them. Uh, and, um, you know, she says, I do keep the vision alive for playing uh, even larger venues. That's there. She said, but what you need to do, and this was the message she was delivering to the crowd last night, was what you need to do is you need to appreciate where it is you're at and what you've got now. And if you really get into where you are now and the level you're at and you really do well at it uh, and work hard at it and just enjoy it, the rest will come. And I thought it was a great message for young people too. Whenever I talk to a band, and I've worked with hundreds of them in my life, invariably the early days will always come up. And it's the those days of sleeping in your car on the way to the next gig, um, sleeping on people's couches or the floor. Take a look at somebody like Ed Sheeran, who for years busked and had no complaints about it because he had no plan B. There was nothing else that he was good at except for this. And like a lot of the artists, they kind of reflect really nicely on the early years, knowing that if I didn't slog it out in the beginning, I wouldn't be able to truly appreciate what I have going on singing in front of, you know, 14 or 15,000 people. And, you know, going back to, like, the, this, this biggest songs of the summer list, you know, it, it's a good tie-in because, you know, some of the biggest songs of the summer of the past from The Police and Mariah Carey and Prince and the Revolution and Brian Adams, some of the biggest names in pop music of the last 40 years, all of them slugged it out. You know, right. Prince just didn't wake up one day and said, here's Purple Rain for you people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for seven years, he was playing in a funk band as a backup guitarist. Brian Adams wrote songs for other artists, including Trooper, for a decade. 
Somebody like the police went through various members before they actually started with their first album and then, of course, Broken Big with Every Breath You Take and the Synchronicity album. So artists like Rachel still need to exist only just to let people know that being in the music industry and you played Bruce Springsteen up at the top, he's a perfect example. It's a billion to one shot of making it. Yeah, she um, she gave me hope last night that maybe all is not lost with the new music because I, I detected a little bit of a Carol King attitude in her, too. And and um, I know Carol King's story is a, a little different, but she mm-hmm. she she had that that level of uh, enthusiasm and spunk and against all odds type of thing going on. Um, and, and, and her depth of work is actually pretty impressive for, for an old jaded guy like me. Uh, I was, I was quite inspired by her, by her performance, but then you've got guys like Paul McCartney that are still out doing it. You know, a new leg of, uh, of, um, a U.S. tour, the one-on-one tour, which he's been doing for a year. And, and he was interviewed recently, said the, said the same thing, Eric, you know, the question was posed to him. How do you go out and do three hours a night, 37 songs, and, and do that night after night? And he says, because I've been doing it for so long. And, and you know, we, we, we did it back in the, the early days, and, and you, just, you just get used to it, and you feed off the adrenaline. You, be, you don't become more tired on the stage. You become more, more adrenalized. And, and he said, you know, one of the things that we never did was we never mailed it in, as he said. We, yeah. We always worked hard at trying to be good because the question about competitiveness with other um, touring acts was brought up, and and he said, yeah, there's there's some of that there, but we always just felt pride in our own in our own work. We wanted to go out and make sure everybody had a good time and make sure we played well. We didn't want to not go out and play well. So yeah, especially when it comes to the Beatles, because I mean their their story has been written and talked about over and over again, and you 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 know there there's there's my attitude is that they're still underappreciated, you know, but when mm-hmm. you take a look at some of the biggest tours that are going right now with Blake Shelton is on tour, Bruno Mars is on tour, Lionel Richie is on tour, um, even, uh, you know, artists like, like New Kids on the Block and Boys to Men are selling out arenas across North America. They just didn't happen overnight. And I think that that's, that's the difference when, you know, when you can say that you're jaded. I think that a lot of us grew up with, you know, in the era of, say, much music, where artists like The Spoons or Platinum Blonde or Honeymoon Suite or even Jan Arden to a certain extent. All great acts. Were, were yeah, they were... They were playing Queen Street, they were playing Hamilton, they were playing Kitchener, Waterloo, Sarnia, all of those places. Much music started to play their videos, and seemingly overnight they became national stars. And I think that these artists, like, say, One Direction, or, you know, some of the boy bands, or some of, you know, the more teen pop-oriented artists that, that, that get popular based on YouTube rather than visiting town to town to town to town, it gets a little bit knocked sometimes, because if you're Harry Styles right now from One Direction, and the band splits, and they all have had top 10 hits on their own, it's kind of like, what happens when they grow up? What happens when your audience goes from 14 to 19, and they want to become more serious? What happens when you're a daughter is seven years old and loves One Direction when she's 15. By the time that One Direction gets back together again, and you can better believe that they'll get back together again more for at least one more album, um, they're, they're into the Beatles already. Yeah, right. So they're into the right. Stones and the Who and the, the classic rock stuff, right. and that's okay because pop music will always be the gateway for the quote-unquote more serious 
music that's out there. And anything that gets people listening to music, especially as kids, is always going to be a good thing. You betcha. Eric Alper, music publicist, always a pleasure to chat with you. Love the energy and uh, look forward to having you on again real soon. Absolutely. Have a great weekend, man. All the best. Bye for now. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.